A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is episode 64 of the Intercooler podcast, and we're talking about classic cars, or rather what makes a car a classic. How do we know which modern cars are going to become classics. How do you define that term classic? Um, Andrew, I, we haven't done a great deal of prep for this one, but I suspect this is the sort of topic you can just riff on, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I think it's something to say. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean I, I mean, I think the point being is that, you know, old and classic are not synonyms. Yeah. Um, just because a car is old doesn't make it classic. Um, and there are lots of cars that are old, um, which absolutely aren't classic. So uh, no, I, I'm, I'm sure I can think of some nonsense to 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 to, to, to spout on this subject. Um, I, have, I have given it a little bit of thought. I think there are certain things you can look for in a car um, that make it more likely than not to achieve classic state to its status in the future. But I think very few of these things are guaranteed. Okay. Well, we'll find out what those are in a few minutes. First, we just need to do the now customary the intercooler app update um subscriptions are rolling along very nicely indeed they really are so if you have thank you everybody it, yeah thank you everybody if you haven't no, downloaded it yet Blimey. um do it now and see what you're missing out on um you can start your free trial uh just do it now we've posted some really cool stuff i think this week more from david tuig um he's our sort of tame car engineer of just extraordinary stock um, he is the bloke who engineered the Alpine A110, but quite apart from I that, I knew he's... you'd get it in there. <laughs> well, that, that won't be the only mention for the A110 this, <laughs> this episode. But he's he also um, led the development of the first Renault Zoe and the Nissan Qashqai, so he understands mass market and electric vehicle engineering as well as just about anybody. Which means he's got this amazing insight, and every time he writes something for us. I learned something that I'd never heard of before. Um, Did he also, and, uh, uh, sorry to interrupt, but also unlike, frankly, most engineers, he speaks human being as well, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Uh, and it's just so easy. I mean, you know, the piece he posted for us 
uh, in the last week. It's basically about a triangle. It's about three points in a car around which the entire car is designed. And if you, you know, you, I've often thought, you know, how do you start? You know, you think, okay, I need a new car. What's the very first thing you do? Well, David's piece answers all that. Yeah, you don't start with the front bumper and then the headlights and then the wheel <laughs> arches. backwards from there. <laughs> You start, yeah, you'll have to read the piece, but basically you start with the driver's heel, um, which is quite interesting. Uh, so that's on there now. Go download the app, start your free trial. You'll be able to look at it straight away. Um, there's plenty more on there. We, Andrew, we also, we've posted just now, we're recording this on Friday, so we've just posted on the app about BMW. Um, yeah. Announcing that it's coming back to the top tier of sports car racing. Sort that's of exciting. Announcing. Yeah, it's, it's slight, slightly cryptic, wasn't it? Well, it's a one-line Instagram post um, from... That's so 2021, isn't it? Yeah, well, it is, it is. Um, but, um, yeah, it's just really... So, I mean, you know, so, so if you haven't seen it, the one-line Instagram post, it says something like, uh, we're back, Daytona 2023. Uh, but the significant thing being that there's a picture of the V12 LMR, uh, the car that Williams produced, um, designed and engineered, Um but was a BMW and one of them more in 1999. Uh, that's how we know it's not like another GT car or anything else. Um, and Daytona means it'll have to be in the LMDH category, along with uh, with Porsche and Audi and others, um, because the LMH category, it's so confusing, isn't it? But that's the sort of slightly freer um, sort of supercar category, if you like, that uh, Ferrari and Peugeot and Toyota are committed to. They don't race in America. They don't race in IMSA. Um, and Daytona is IMSA and the point being that an LMDH can run both in IMSA and the World Endurance Championship but an LMH can only run in the World Endurance Championship so BMW are obviously chosen like you know like Porsche and like Audi the the series if that's the right word formula don't know um, that allows them to race the thing wherever they want to which strikes me as being eminently sensible yeah so they haven't said that they're coming back to Le Mans but they will. They just would, won't they? <laughs> Surely. Yeah. I mean, well, given that the, the, the photograph that they use to illustrate this point is the only BMW ever to have one Le Mans, it would be a bit of, it would be a, bit of a red herring, wouldn't it, if it turned out to be, Le Mans turned out to be not part of that. And also, you know, they're just, they're just not going to say, you know, Audi, Porsche, you know, you might, are closest, most deadly rival, just help yourself to the world's greatest sports car race. It's just, I just can't see it happening. Mm. Yeah, well, let's it doesn't, that anyway. turns yeah. out to be true. Um, I've thought it's BMW's position in international motorsport has been slightly odd for a while since it quit Formula One, what, 15 years ago or something? Yeah. Mm, I not mean, quite it's, 15, it's all... 13 years ago or something. They haven't had a real top flight racing program. But and actually, the M8 it... in, in GTE, did that ever really make much sense to anyone? Uh, it did okay, I think, in, in IMSA. I mean, it, I think it did some stuff on the other side of the water, but it certainly didn't do anything over here. And, you know, and, and, it, and it's, it's WEC program. I think, I think it did two seasons. It did, it did, I think it did like 18 and 19. Um, I think wasn't as successful as I hope it was going to be. So they just canned it. And actually, if you look back, and I, I'm generalizing furiously, and there have been some great BMW racing cars, um, and I certainly wouldn't ever see it tonight. But if you look back, I mean, you know, what, really really major championships um in, in in any form of motor racing has has bmw won i mean we think of them as this great sporting brand and it is but it seems that they sort of come along and they have a look um and then if they don't do well fairly quickly then they go away again maybe that's unfair i don't know but um 
you know, their Formula E program didn't last very long. Um, their most, uh, their recent um, WEC program didn't last very long. Uh, and I just hope that, you know, with an LMDH, I mean, the point is, is that, you know, because you have, you know, only a choice of four chassis, you have to have, you have, to have a spec hybrid system, all your dimensions are, uh, are chosen for you, you've got a fixed power output, you've got a fixed downforce to drag ratio, fixed weight, all that sort of stuff. You know, the point being is that it's going to be really affordable. Um, and so hopefully that will mean that they choose to hang around. Because, you know, the world's just a better place. You know, the more manufacturers are in there doing it, and particularly the more manufacturers like BMW, who we all love and want to see do well. Yeah, yeah, you're quite right. They're, they don't have that glittering heritage like even a, a Mercedes-Benz, do they, or an Audi? In, or an Audi or a Porsche. You look, at all the, yeah. you look at all their rivals. You, know, you think of all the... You don't even think of Jaguar, you know, with all those Le Mans wins. BMW hasn't got any of that. It's kind of like a... It's not, but you know, another brand you could you could level a similar sort of thing at is Lamborghini. You know, Lamborghini has you know okay, they, they've got a very active GT3 program, have had so for a long time, but they've never won anything big, you know. Um, and you know they've done engine supply jobs in Formula One and, and and that sort of thing, but none of it's ever really come to anything. And it's it's, it's interesting. Um, I just really hope that they're not just going to come back. Uh, and if it looks a bit hard, run away again. Um, come back and stay. Commit. Um, you know, it's not going to cost them much money compared to, you know, Formula One or anything else they might be doing or have done in the past. Um, and just really make a mark. There yeah. you go. Go on, go and, go and win Le Mans for the second time. That'll make a big difference. That'd be um, cool. I'd love to see BMW win Le Mans. Yeah, it'd be great. Genuinely, it? it'd be very, very cool. Um, so before we move on to classic cars, uh, we have just published on the app a TI Super podcast. Now, TI Super, Super podcasts are for app subscribers only and they're guest-based so whereas this main podcast is just andrew and me talking nonsense at one another on the ti super podcast we get guests on board who um, actually know what they're talking about who know what they're talking about and <laughs> this latest one is with david pook who's the former jlr chassis engineer who's now modifying alpine a110s there you go another mention under <laughs> under his company life 110 um i'll play a few minutes for you now more recently, you've been doing some fun stuff with Alpine A110s. You own one, um, and yeah. you've been trying to make that as good as you can as well. You've been you've taken one of very few five-star road test cars and set out to try and find ways to make it better. That's an interesting approach, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I remember when I first thought uh, suggested to people that I was going to do it, and they're like, "Are you mad? You know, it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> have you read the reviews? What are you actually going to do? There's nothing left to do." And then. You know, that's never true. Nothing's perfect. And, um, you know, that car, um, well, the reason I own that car is because, one, I wanted to do something for myself and get out of the corporate world. And um, as part of doing that, uh, the Alpine A110 had, if I'm being honest, had a little bit passed me by when it was first announced. And... Um, you know, because I was at Goodwood at Festival of Speed with Project 8 and where, when the Alpine A110 was there, and I, I didn't give it a second look, you know. So, yes, I was busy, but and it was when the reviews came out and I started to kind of like have the interest because it was, the reviews were five-star, but also it was um, talk of it being a bit different. And I, I remember when um, I was having a chat with someone and they said, um, oh, I've just weighed it, and it was like uh, 1,100 kilos, and... Uh, I thought I, I was kind of like slightly dumbfounded coming from 
JLR world where we were doing project eight and you'd weigh like a four seater project eight at nearly 1800 kilos and to have a an 1100 kilo sports car was completely and utterly new and i became hooked into how they done that you know mm. and what what does it mean when something is that light i don't have the experience of a car that light what does it mean what have they done so um i without driving it i bought one <laughs> i got my my yeah my my i got to the point where my brain says well you have to have it you know you're you you have to learn about this car you have to understand it it's totally different so um and you've read the review so my mindset was i'm not going to hate it if i drive it and there's things i don't like i'm going to buy it anyway so i just bought it mm. and the first time i drove it was when i drove off after just uh, you know parting with the money and um uh, typically uh, i'm I, before i got home I was like, well, I wonder if what would happen if I was to just do this, you know. <laughs> and you, you know, you begin to analyse. Um, I guess it's part of the one of the problems with the job is that you begin to analyse immediately um, rather than just enjoying, you know. So you're it's like, oh, well, this this is how the steering behaves and it could do that better and it does this and what if it did that instead, you know. So you're, the brain starts analysing and, um, you know, I just thought, well, actually yes, it's a five-star car for reasons X, Y, Z, but it's still not, you know, perfect. And there are things that I'd, for me, like to to change. Uh, and you could call better, but it's just, you know, in the end, it's different. And um, at the same time, I, I wanted to explore kind of social media a bit more in terms of what, and I, and I thought, well, I've got this car. Let's see how the fact that it's unique and different um, would a social media experiment, you know, engage with people. And that, and that's where it started from really. Obviously talking about Alpines is my favorite thing to do. And I'm going to talk about Alpines. You don't the bloke who owns one. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we, we did do a little bit of that, but we also made sure that we talked, we spoke about uh, chassis engineering, what it means, what the process is, um, how he got into that line of work. Um, so it's an interesting listen and you can, you'll find it on the app now. So go and have a look. Um, now A110s, I think that's a reasonable segue into classic cars because will, will, will the A110 be a future classic? I, I mean, yes, surely. Yeah. Yeah, it will be. I think, I think it ticks enough boxes. Yeah, no, it will be. Yeah. Okay. So we've said already that a, a classic car is not just an old car. We need to, we need to define it. A little bit more specifically. Um, now, in the last couple of weeks, the historic Classic Vehicles Alliance has sort of launched in the interests of the classic car industry. Um, and I, I was reading up about it this morning. It defines a classic car as being aged 15 to 30 years old. What? Older cars than that are historic cars. Oh, um, and it just amuses me that, that the driver of an early Ford Focus is a classic car owner without realizing it i mean there must be plenty of people out there um so i, I think we need a, a more specific definition than that don't we uh, we absolutely do well i mean I, do we need a definition or well, i mean that's the question isn't it is it you know it's like it's like you know the, the british versus the american constitutions do you actually need one written down or do you just you know trust to your values and know what it is when you see it 
Um, and, and I think you can tie yourself in knots if you try to determine what, you know, precise qualifications. And if you tick one or all of those or most of those things, then therefore that makes you a classic car. Because there will always be exceptions. There will always be just quirky cars that should be on it. And probably some that, you know, objective you look at and think probably should be on it, but aren't. Um, so, you know, I think that there, what I would say is I think that there are very, there are, there are a number of things that a car can be, which makes it much more likely, um, to be a classic car. Um, allow me to, uh, expand (laughs) a little bit. Um, and I'm not doing this in any particular order. Okay. But if a car is rare, that makes it more likely that they'll become a classic car. Now, some cars are deservedly rare because they're terrible. Um, if a car is beautiful, that makes it more likely to become a classic car because that pr- provides a an element of appeal to a certain constituency of punter. If a car is fun to drive, I think that makes it much more likely to become a classic car. Um, and I don't think really think I need to explain the reasons for that. If the car is important in some way, I think that makes it much more likely um, to become a classic car. If the car has some kind of competition history, um, that makes it massively more likely to be a classic car because that conveys upon it an authenticity um, which you don't get anywhere else. If it is technologically interesting, if there's something on it which maybe hadn't been done before, maybe it didn't even happen again afterwards, um, something like I don't know, an NSU Row 80, um, you know, the first rotary engine car. Um, you know, that's a very interesting, innovative car. And I think anybody would tell you that that was a classic car. And of course, you don't have to have all those things because basically, if you want a car that ticked all those, but I'm not even sure there is a car that, tick, that, that ticks all of those boxes. There probably is someone. Maybe, maybe someone will, um, will let us know what it is. But you need some or more of all of the above. Um, you know, rare, beautiful, interesting, fun, um, technologically uh, interesting motorsport competition. And if you get enough of those together, then you know, the more of them you can get together, the more likely it is that what you'll be looking at is a classic car. And if you don't take any of those boxes, what you actually have is just an old car. Yeah, that's right. So if you tick all those boxes, you've got a 250 GTO or something. Well, I thought, I, you see, I thought about, as I was saying, I thought 250 GTO. <laughs> and then I thought to myself, technologically, not very interesting. There's nothing particularly technical. A 250 GTO was a brilliantly realised piece of really quite old technology. There was nothing on it. I mean, it had a live rear axle. V12 engines had been around for a long time. You know, there wasn't, you know, there wasn't anything clever in the chassis. It was just brilliantly done. So even a 250 GTO, which is kind of like you know the poster car for all this sort of thing, um, despite its beauty and its rarity, and you know the oh yeah brand that's another thing. It's got to come from a you know it it, it helps, doesn't it? If it's a Ferrari rather than a Wartburg, um, yeah. If it was, that's right, yeah. If so it was a Wartburg the, the 250 boxes... GTO, it probably wouldn't be quite as classic as <laughs> um, as a Ferrari. So that's another thing. Sorry, but uh, I suppose yeah, the, the more boxes you tick, the more. Well, ultimately, the more valuable that car will will become one day. That's that's probably that th- there'll be a direct correlation there, won't it, between the number of boxes ticked and the value of that car. Um, I think that's I think that's probably um, beyond doubt. Um, but uh, it, it, it's such a fuzzy such a fuzzy definition. Something like an E thirty three two five I. 
Is that a classic car? <sighs> to me, it is. To me, it is. Um, because, okay, I mean, how does that make you feel? You think E3325i. I just get warm feelings about it. I want to drive one. Uh, if I saw one parked in the street, I would cross the street and go and make sure it didn't have an automatic gearbox in it. Um, I, you know, I would, yeah, I would, you know, and, and that to me is, okay, maybe that's the, maybe that's the uh, criteria. Would you cross the street to go and look at it? Um, I don't know. It's, it, it's, you know, I think some kind of measure like that is probably as reliable probably more reliable than, you know, trying to come up with all these different criteria and coming up with some magic formula of all of them which somehow qualifies a car. You know, how does it make you feel? You're walking down, you know, your high street and you suddenly see, I just would. And in fact, I do. I do all the time. There was, um, what was there? There was a three, there was a, a, uh, a 323i that was parked in my local village the other day. Um, and it was parked a bit off the street and I just saw it out the corner of my eye because it was that very particular BMW orange cut colour. And I just, you know, I just found myself doing that and, and just going and gawping at it. And it wasn't a valuable car and it was pretty scruffy and uh, there were bits falling off it. But I just love I just love the idea that somebody was, was, was still out there using that, that, that sort of thing. So, yeah, um, it's, it's, I, I, I just think you can tie yourself in knots trying to define it. We should point out that um, this episode idea was uh, suggested by Reed. Yes, hang on. I'll even tell you who the reader was. Victor, forgive me, Victor, if I'm pronouncing your name wrong. Victor Uldbike. He goes on Instagram under the handle of Not a Bright Boy. Really sure he is because he's, 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 he's had an excellent idea. And he said, um, I've mentioned the potential theme in a question best broadly defined as what makes a car a classic? Are there certain traits in play or is it simply down to being brilliant or rare? And then he says, there are shooting brakes that would certainly fit in. Aston Martin GT5 shooting break, um, among others. But um, yeah, so so thank you, Victor. Really appreciate um, the idea. Um, and if any of you guys have, have have any ideas of things you'd like us to talk about, uh, just get in touch. Get in touch through uh, through the Instagram site. Send us an idea, and if it's half good, we'll do it. Yeah, we will. Um, somebody suggested one to me, um, and I like the idea, and I think we're going to do it next week. So yeah, we do read these, um, and we do do them if we like the ideas. Um, so back to classic cars. There's a, a real movement around the car your dad drove at the moment, isn't there? Yes. Um, so Top Gear did that wonderful episode a couple of months ago. Um, and we see things like the Haggerty Festival of the Unexceptional. Um, and there's also the new museum, the Great British Car Journey um, in Derbyshire, isn't it? Um, and so the, people do seem to be taking the time just to pause and remember the very normal cars that used to be around um, in our but, youth. But are they but classics? Are they classics? <laughs> so I, I uh, in fact, I'm doing it again this year. I judged the Festival of the Unexceptional last year. I'm looking forward to doing it again this year. And we, the winner was a blue Morris Marina estate base spec. <laughs> so at the back of the right. car, <laughs> back of the car, there was this massive rubber bung where the rear windscreen wiper would have gone if you could oh, have afforded perfect. a rear windscreen wiper. <laughs> um, and, and I'm about to completely contradict myself because if I saw that car on the street, I would absolutely cross the road and go and look at it. But I cannot, with my hand on my heart, tell you that a whatever it was, a 1.3, a base spec 1.3 Morris Marina Estate is any kind of classic car because it clearly isn't. Um, you know, I, th- I think another um, way of, of, of 
perhaps judging it is was it a good car when it was new i mean i don't i don't think i can think of many cars which people regarded as rubbish than they were new um which are now regarded as being classic cars maybe there are mm, that's an interesting point um so back to the Haggerty thing you you've you've judged it How, what on earth is the criteria for judging what the winner of that the festival of the unexceptional is Again, is it just a exactly, gut feeling? It's exactly what we're talking about here. I think it is a gut feeling. And again, you know, I'd hate to try and put down on paper what makes a car quite so exceptionally unexceptional. Um, because it's, it's, it's just how, do you, how does it make you feel? Does it make you smile? And, and part of that is tied up in your own personal experiences, isn't it? You know, I used to, when I was, when I was um, a young lad, shall we say, I used to have a thing about Austin Allegra's the square steering wheels. Because for a couple of years they had these things called Cortex steering wheels, and they were okay, they were Randolph, but they were basically square steering wheels. And I just thought this was such an insane idea. Every time I saw an Allegra, wherever I was, whatever I was, I had to go and see whether it had a square steering wheel or not. And now, if I see a Cortex Allegra, now that just makes me, that just makes me happy. It just, I just, I just think it's funny. Um, but I don't think that an Allegra with a square steering wheel is a classic car. Maybe we just tie ourselves in knots over it. I don't know. Mm. I think we need a term, a catch-all term for these older cars that we all admire somehow or are charmed by when we see them, but which that's are clearly not classic cars. Well, they're charming cars. I, I, yeah, I mean, yeah. That's, that's a sort Dad's of rubbish cars. term, isn't it? Is it we, we need something because just because they're old, it doesn't mean they're classics, but we still admire them and like but them it and doesn't, appreciate but it, them. Exactly. It doesn't mean, yeah, just because they're not classics doesn't mean we don't like them. Mm. <laughs> God, it's complicated, isn't it? Yeah. But it's really interesting too. I know, uh, right, so I've never owned a classic car. Um, not by our definition, at least. The HCVA will tell you that I've owned a couple. Um, but never a, never a proper classic car. Um, so let's, let's just pretend I've got 10 grand and I want my first classic car. I'm not a spanner. Or I don't know how to use a spanner at least. Um, so I, I don't... I don't I don't want it to let me down every drive. I don't, you know, I don't want to be underneath it every weekend. Where, sh- where should I stick my money? I want something sporting, something that will be fun to drive, but it needs to have a distinctly classic car flavour, so it needs to feel very different to a modern performance car. Yeah, I mean, you can do it. Um, I mean, you know, you could go and get, you know, like in, in your position, I would go and get an old hatchback. You know, there are, you know, go and go and get yourself, um, you know, ten grand. I go, I, you know, I know this because I've done it myself. I go and get a two hundred five GTI, you know, um, something like that. Which, you know, the, you know, if you get a, I'm just trying to. Well, so the two hundred five GTI came out, I think, the back end of nineteen eighty four. So they are. What does that make them now? Twenty seven years old. Um, so you know, um, or or older than that. Go and get a Mark II Golf. Um, because I think if you don't go down that road. Or you could go and get a, you know, you could probably get a, I don't know what kind of E30 10 grand buys you, but it'll certainly buy you something. Um, because if you don't go down that road, then you then you get into those, you know, slightly rubbish British sports cars. You get into Trump Spitfires <laughs> and MGBs and that sort of thing. And, you know, it's, it's, an early MGB is actually a really, really lovely thing. But by the time they become a bit bloated and they've got the rubber bumpers and, you know, all that sort of thing. Um you know, to me, a lot of their charm had gone on. And I, I apologise if I'm upsetting MGB and is, um listening to this. Um, so I think if you wanted to go and do that, um, I mean, we're almost in sort of, you know, the MX5, let's not forget, the MX5 is 30 years old now, isn't it? 
Um, yeah, and actually, when I said when I said the two five GTI was twenty seven years old, I meant it's thirty seven years old, isn't it? So it's um, yeah. So I mean, these things are, are knocking on a bit now, and, and and because I'm so old, I think look, you know, when I started doing this job, you know, I was testing brand new two five GTIs. I don't think of them in my head as being classics because, you know, to me, th- there was a time when these were, you know, th- when these were new cars. Um, but, you know, when I started started doing this job, you were three. So it's, um, you know, so, so we have different perspectives. Um, I think at the moment, if you can extend your budget beyond that, I think if I could have one classic car, a do-everything classic car, so you want it to be reliable you want it to be great fun to drive. Um, you want to be able to pile your kids into it. Um, and you want to be able to do a distance. So these are none of the cars that I've got because all my cars are, well, A, quite rubbish, but B, do very different jobs. But if I was going to have one car, I'd go and get, and I don't know what you pay for it, but probably not that much, an old, a 1960s Alfa Julia Saloon. Oh, interesting. Uh, because they are, I mean, they were so advanced when they were new you know these cars were built in the early 60s which had five-speed gearboxes you know twin cam engines uh disc brakes all around you know and you know you go and look at the whatever kind of ford anglia or escort this, you know you, you you could get at the same time and so you know which means that today they are they're just superb to drive you can't you can't be unhappy and driving one of those at the same time it's just not possible um, you have that fabulous twin cam engine um they're very practical you can get loads of space in them and you know in the interior they're so they're so italian and quirky but they're also you know they're not mad they're not they don't just you know unlike the you know the sort of the alphas that they started producing in the late 70s and the early 80s which were just kind of different for the sake of being different and just ended up being infuriating um these are just really really cool cars and if you had you know a 1.6 julia super brilliant 1.3 julius if it doesn't matter and and also the other thing is um as with all classic cars uh you have to know that you've got a decent supply of parts because if you think you damage it at all you break anything you're never going to be able to replace it and it's going to you know put the car off the road then that's no fun and with cars like that there are just bits everywhere you're, you know you, because there are so many on the road because there are so many frankly racing there are so many people whose business it is to look after those cars you'll always be able to get bits um and so you know they're quite affordable they're fantastic fun um and you'll just feel like a million dollars every time you get in it so that's you know that's where i would you know if i could have if i could have one affordable classic car that's what i'd have good shout um okay well just to sort of round things up should we try and define or not define we don't have to define it but just think about what exactly the appeal of a classic car is um and given would you, would you choose to run one daily or does that defeat the point some people do and i really admire them for doing it but to me no i never would so i have a i have a mad brother um who goes off and does things in old cars and he does events all over europe particularly in places like italy and austria um and the strange thing to me is what he enjoys at least as much as the event is the getting there and getting back so he just spends days sitting on motorways in old cars, rattling along, not going very fast. Um, and to me, I don't understand the appeal of that. Um, you know, I, I would love to have a car like that once I'd arrived. But if all you're going to do, because I don't really regard sitting on a motorway as driving, is sitting on a motorway, I'd much rather sit in something that was quite uncomfortable um, and could keep me entertained. I'm, I don't want to sit there thinking, I'm 
doing with this car something it was never designed to do because these sorts of roads didn't exist when it was built and I'm probably stressing it a bit and constantly watching the gauges and fretting about this that and the other and thinking all the miles I'm putting on it which you know would otherwise be miles I could have spent enjoying myself in it um and so on and so forth um what was your question i've completely lost my train of thought (laughs) well there was a two-part question you've answered the second part but the first part was what exactly is the appeal of a classic car um oh you asked me about daily driver yeah so no i wouldn't i wouldn't daily drive a classic car Uh, i I think the appeal of the classic car is only going to become more accentuated because you know i think we have we have seen haven't we you know and there are endless examples of it from you know the slow death of the manual gearbox the adoption of um electric power steering you know very shortly the adoption of the worldwide adoption of electric powertrains you know all the things that we find charming in cars normally aspirated engines rear wheel drive all this sort of stuff um it's all going and so you know when i started doing the job there were classic cars but they weren't massively different to the cars that i was driving in my day job because they were still usually, you know, they had the engine at that end, and they were driven at that end, and they had manual gears, and they had normally aspirated, and it didn't matter whether you're talking about, you know, a 1980s car or a 1950s car. They all had that sort of configuration. That's all changing now. Um, and I think what a classic car has to do, and the reason that we love them, is they get you involved. And I've said this before on this podcast, and it's an analogy that I like, but I, but I probably do overuse it. But it puts you on the stage and in the action, uh, rather than in the stall, stalls watching a show. Um, and and to me, that's what it's all about. Because if you're in a car and you know you're having to manage its rather rubbish power band, and you're having to change gear all the time, and the steering isn't necessarily that precise, and you're thinking about not overheating the brakes, and you're balancing, and it hasn't got that much going on, there's just all this stuff. And we love driving. And so the more driving that a car allows you to do, rather than just sitting there going, um, the more fun it's going to be, as long as its responses are pure and clean and reliable. And that's, you know, that's what makes um, great cars, whatever their age. Um, and so I, th- I think really that's it. I mean, to me, I know other people have different criteria. You know, I mean, things like you know, a Ferrari... 250 California, you know, long wheelbase, beautiful car. Um, I suspect not great to drive. I suspect a bit of an old boat. But people love those things and pay bazillions for them because they are such extraordinarily beautiful cars. I mean, that doesn't do it for me. I, I'm so much more interested in what a car is like to drive than what it is to look at. Um, and so for me, and it is a very personal thing, and everybody's criteria is different, there's absolutely no right or wrong in it. To me, it ultimately comes down to how involved does it make me because it is only through that involvement that I derive the fun. And if you're not driving a classic car for fun, what are you doing in it? Yeah, well, there you go. That's it, isn't it? That is the appeal of a classic car. Well, it is to me. No, well, yeah, I think I, I see it the same way. It's, I, I quite agree. It's not about looking at these things. That's not what I'm interested in. Um, I like driving them. And it's it, those... The appeal of a classic car from a driving point of view is, is kind of eternal. It's, it's ageless. It's timeless. And that's why this um, resto mod thing is really kicking off. Because although these cars are re-engineered and <clears throat> they have more of the durability and so on of a modern car, they still feel small. They don't feel like they've got too much grip. They still have um, unassisted or hydraulic 
power steering. Um, they still have manual boxes and NA engines, and they you still operate them and drive them the way you would a classic car. Um, and, and so they're still, they're still evolving. They're still evolving to drive, and they're not so bonkers fast generally that you're you know you're in license losing territory before you know it. Um, so that's an interesting thing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean something like a, an Alpha Holix that could be a a classic car because it is based on a, a 60s alpha isn't it it just happens to have been sort of reworked a little bit yeah but i mean they are they are they are you know they're, they're, they're wonderful things i'm sure but they're also massively expensive but you know if, if somebody were to just do um you know something like that julia i was talking about but had just gone through it sufficiently just to make sure that you know it had completely modern car reliability um and maybe one or two you know little creature comforts just those that would encourage you to drive the car more so you know maybe if you could sneak some aircon in there you might want to take it out on a sunny uh, you know when it's a really hot day in the summer when otherwise you might not um you know uh and maybe you could play a song or two and if you had to go and do a, a long journey that sort of thing um so we we can now do old cars with the benefit of hindsight and so you can have both you can have both things you can have modern car reliability and you can have old car charm and you can put the two together and they are not mutually exclusive objectives. Um, and to me, I find that uh, extremely appealing and interesting. Uh, and, and clearly, we're going to see a huge amount more of it. Mm. Yeah, we definitely are. Um, okay, so <laughs> which would you lo- love to own more than any other? Well, I mean, I, I, I always answer this question the same way. It's an F40, which is a, which is a silly answer, really, because I don't know what I'd do with an F40. I really don't. I really don't. You know, I, and whenever I, you know, and I've made this mistake so many times in the past. I've had so many cars which I've bought because I just really, really like the idea of having one. And then it just sits in my shed and I don't do anything with it. And then its role in my life becomes degraded to one where literally its only function is to make me feel guilty about not using it. Um, and an F40 would undoubtedly do that. It would sit there for months because you know but the way our lives are considered configured Dan, you know as, uh, as well as i do particularly with this with this app which is taking most of our waking hours um there just isn't the time to go off and then really really you know something like an f40 it's it's a it's a car you need to know exactly where you're going where you're going has to be exactly right for that kind of car you know you have to know exactly where it's going to stay once you get there and you have to plan it out almost like a military campaign or else at best, it's going to be a disappointing experience because it's going to be frustrating because you can't use the car properly. Um, or at worst, you're going to sit there thinking, you know, I wish I'd taken the, you know, the modern 911 or whatever, you know, your daily driver might be. Um, so, but then again, it was briefly supplanted by a LaFerrari. When I drove the LaFerrari, I suddenly thought to myself, blimey, is this, is this the car that I actually uh, replaces the F40 as you know, the, the, the greatest road car in my experience? Uh, and it did briefly, but now I sort of, you know, normal service has been re- re- resumed and I just, there is something so pure and animalistic. And it's not because it's fast, because by modern standards, frankly, it's, it's, it's not that fast. Um, but there is nothing that gets you closer to the sensations of driving than an F40, and I just, I, I just, I, I just feel like a sort of a small giddy child every time I even think of them. And you know, even though I've been very lucky to have driven a few, it never goes away. And that's the other thing, you know, the novelty of an F40 would never ever wear off. 
it's never going to be normal. You're never going to think, look at the F40 and think, oh, do you know, I've just done that a bit too much. I'm not going to bother with that for a bit. You know, you're always going to want to drive it. And that's another thing with classic cars. Do you always want to go and drive it? Um, and if you do, then it's a classic. There we go. Yeah, that's a pretty good definition. Um, <clears throat> I, we've just bought a house and it's a proper renovation. So that's just, we're just pouring our money into that at the moment. Um, but at some point, I'm determined that I will own my first proper classic car. It's not going to happen anytime soon, but for a, if you love cars and love driving, it's just such a big part of the whole experience, isn't it? Something so so, so what, what, what road are you thinking about going down? Oh, I don't know. I'm not even thinking about it because it's, it's too far off. But uh, I, I, I'd also need somewhere to store it. I don't want it sitting on a driveway outside in the weather. No, um, depending on no. the car, I suppose. But and the, and, and the other thing, and again, I speak from having made my own mistakes. You know, storing cars is absolutely fine, but if you don't store them really pretty close by, you still end up not using them because it just, you know, if you, if, if you if it takes you half an hour to get there and half an hour to get back, that's basically put an hour onto your journey in the car. And if you were only going to drive it for a couple of hours, that's fifty percent more time spent just getting to it and back, and you just won't use it. And I, I mean, because I, I when I lived in London, I had exactly the same thing as you. Um, I, I had something and I didn't want it set outside the house because I was worried about it rotting and I was worried about it getting damaged. Um, and so I stuck it under a, a tower block somewhere about 40 minutes away. And literally, I used to go and see it just to make sure it's still there. Um, and, that, and that's no way to end a, a nice old car, is it? No, no. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm not going to do it anytime soon because my life isn't sort of configured in the right way at the moment. But it will happen. It will happen at some point um, because it's it's just such an antidote to driving um, a modern car to to commuting. You know, it's just it's it's proper driving, not the driving that most people will think of when they hear that term. Um, I can I can see you and your other half in a step front Julia Sprint GT, nineteen sixty five Julia Coupe. Go and have a look at it. Just I mean, basically, it's a GTA without you know, it's an affordable GTA. Oh, I'd love one. I'd I'd love one. That is exactly the kind of classic car that I'm into. A little little sports coupe, rear drive, good snorty engine. Yeah, I love it. Dickie Meaden used to own one, um, and I've, I've I've driven a few, and they're just in fact a very. In fact, I went to see one once, um, and I basically I decided before I saw it that I was going to buy it, um, and the bloke couldn't have been more helpful, and the car was absolutely lovely. In fact, he was so helpful, he had it in a garage with had a pit underneath it. Um, and so I said, well, can I just go down the pit and look underneath it? Well, yes, of course. And he gave me a torch. And then I discovered the car was completely rotten. Oh. Ah. Oh. Oops. <laughs> so I didn't buy it in the end. But um, yeah, um, something like that. Yeah. Oh, God. Now I, now I want one. Yeah. Well, that's very, very high up my list, I have to say. Yeah. yeah. Good. Um, <clears throat> all right. Good. Well, let's leave that one there. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. Go and download the app. Just search the intercooler on whichever app store you use. Start your free trial. Um, it's going really well so thank you everybody who has um, downloaded subscribed contributed in the comments we're having a great time um, and there's yeah, we are. plenty um, more to come and thank you to all our contributors who've um, you know have really su- submitted some some absolutely terrific stuff for us and and, and, and as I said before the, what makes us pretty really happy about the fact that it is going well at the moment is it just means we're going to be able to keep on doing it good stuff thanks everybody and we'll talk to you again next week goodbye bye 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.